We had our uh, annual uh, dinner, church dinner, holiday dinner this past Wednesday evening, and uh, there were upwards of 200 people, 200 and plus. Uh, back in my day, we would call that a jammer. It was, uh, the, it was standing room only in the dining hall and into the overflow rooms, and I uh, wanted to give a word of thanks to uh, Cheryl and Paula and Debbie, and my understanding is they had a small army of volunteers who helped them to prepare a meal for a crowd that size and decorate the fellowship hall and all of that. So uh, thank you for serving our congregation in that way and providing the opportunity to uh, fellowship at uh, this time of the year. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, as we turn our hearts to God's Word this morning, I am, I am returning, if you haven't noticed already, to the passage that we touched on last week. Uh, we, we did an earlier portion and ended in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. And I wanted to return to this piece of uh, Jesus' uh, teaching uh, in the temple as the end of the Feast of Tabernacles in this trip to Jerusalem, uh, because I think it is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. So here we are then in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Hear then the Word of God. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we come this morning, and my heart's desire is and would be that You would not only open up the meaning of this text to us, that you would not only impress upon us understanding, but that you would lead us by your grace this morning into experiencing the fullness of this river of living water, this river of life, the life of the Spirit that is promised to us in Christ and poured out for us at Pentecost. We would know the life and power of your Spirit giving us life. Oh, have mercy this morning and meet us as we draw near to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we touched on a couple of Old Testament texts that would have been familiar in the mind of uh, the Jewish population, in the mind of Israel, as Jesus comes to this feast and on the last great day, and we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles, and as he stands and he makes this proclamation, there are passages of Old Testament Scripture that would be in the mind of the hearers. One of them was, or would be, Isaiah chapter 41. It's there in your bulletin under the first point of the outline. It says, when the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, and I... The Lord, I, Yahweh, will answer them, and I will open rivers on the heights. Right? When they're parched with thirst, if, you're, if they're thirsty, I, Yahweh, will be the one to open rivers on the heights. And so Jesus, verse 37, takes the floor in the temple, and he gets the attention of the crowd, and he cries out, 
And he offers the rivers of spiritual life to thirsty souls in the place of God. Right? It's God who made this promise. It's, It's God who made this offer. It is he who says that he would do it. So Jesus stands and he offers what only God can offer. You know, he offers to give what only God can give. And he stands in his place and he cries, if anyone's thirsty. He's been at this feast for several days. They've been bickering and going back and forth. And Jesus has had, we talked about this ongoing dialogue with the Jewish leadership about about spiritual life and what it's really all about, the nature of the Sabbath and, and what God wants us to be doing. And he says, after all of the religious disputing of this week, after all the talking is done, is there anyone who is thirsty for something more? Are you tired of playing at just the outward forms of religion and having religious talk and religious dialogue? Are you thirsty for the presence of the living God in your own life and in your own experience? Is your soul soul parched? And so Jesus says, come to me and drink, and the Spirit of God is going to flow in your life like a river. And John tells us that Jesus is indeed talking about the Spirit. He said there will be this river of living water, flow of living water. And he says this, Jesus is talking about the Spirit who will be poured out at Pentecost. That when Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father, the Father is going to give forth the Spirit to Jesus to pour out on His people, on His church, to create His church and His people. Right? And so this passage, I don't know, when Jesus makes this offer, this This is at the center of what Jesus uh, invites us into. And this, when Jesus says this, it should capture our imaginations. This image of of living water flowing into the lives of his people and and giving life. It should capture our imaginations. It It should spark our hope and it should fuel our desire for something. It should make us thirsty, that Jesus speaks it with power into our hearts. It actually creates the thirst that he's talking about. Because this river is the life and the power of Christianity. It's what Christianity flows out of. This that Jesus is talking about is what creates the Christian life. It's the source of the Christian life in anyone who trusts in Christ. This flow is brings forth everything that God has promised and designs and desires for His people. It's Christ in us who is the hope of glory, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. I want to take just a moment, if you'll bear with me, and take a sampling then of what the Spirit does in the life of the believer. This is this river is, is again, that which flows out. We'll see it as you read the New Testament. And I would encourage you, if you sit down and read the New Testament and read for, look for, The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, or just the Spirit. And in that context, and and see just how rich. First of all, they're all used interchangeably. It's very Trinitarian. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, who is the Spirit of God. It's very Trinitarian. And just as you read the New Testament, to see how deeply tied into this river of life and power the Christian life is. Everything flows out of this outpouring of the Spirit. Look in your bulletin as we walk under the second point. Right? It's the Holy Spirit who cleanses us and creates new life, isn't it? Titus chapter 3. He saved us not because of 
works done by, <clears throat> by us in righteousness, the conversation he's been having with the Pharisees. It's not by works. None of you keeps the law. Right? He saves us not by any works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By grace. By the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Right, This washing of regeneration and renewal that He's poured out through Christ in the lives and heart of His people. Right, This is the opening of that stream in your life as we come to Christ and put our faith in Him. He says He pours out this washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit in the lives of His people and He opens the flow of the stream. And it's this reality that defines who we are. Right? And he is the source of all spiritual things that ever are produced in our lives. Everything that God wants to bring forth, he brings forth by the Spirit. Look at the Philippians passage. Philippians chapter 2, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Right? Work out your salvation. Work out everything that pertains to your salvation. That pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of righteousness, that Christian service, that advancement of the kingdom, and everything that, that, that pertains to the things in the kingdom of God. He says, work out your salvation. And we do it, he says, knowing that it is God who is working within us. Right? By the outpoured Holy Spirit who has washed and regenerated and renewed us and who lives in us as a river of this life. God is working in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. The indwelling Christ within us produces the Christian life by shaping our hearts, reshaping our hearts and our wills to do His will. It's the indwelling Spirit of Christ that marks us as God's children and gives us access to the Father as we pray in the Christian life. The next couple of verses, you have received, Romans 8. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of sonship. Christ as the Son of God pours out the indwelling Christ as the spirit of our adoption. As we're connected to Christ and with Him, we are sons and daughters of God. And by Him, our hearts share with Him, we say, Father. We, We are led into a life of prayer and fellowship. Communion with God, for through Him, Ephesians 2, that is through Christ, we both have access, both being Gentiles and Jews, that is all of us. He says, through Christ, all of us have access in one spirit to the Father. The growth in holiness that you and I long for. The freedom that you crave for from sin, at least if you're a believer. There is a craving in us to be free from sin. There is a craving in us to to grow in holiness, to be free from those things and to be like Christ. And the hope of that happening in any of our lives, in any shape or to any degree, pertains to this, it's the fruit of a relationship with the Spirit of God, the river of life that flows in His people. Right there in your bulletin, Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? Walk by the Spirit. The word is literally to walk around. 
by the Spirit. It's a metaphor for living. In other words, he says, live your life. Walk around every day. Live your life by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill. You will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Right? If you tap into and live out of the river of life, right? the, the Spirit whom God has given us. Galatians 5, later in the same chapter, he says, if you live by the Spirit, if you've been washed by the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, then I say, walk by the Spirit. Right here, he actually changes the word. He actually says, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, keep up with Him. Keep in stride with Him. If the Spirit is walking this way, he says, keep up with Him. Follow Him. Follow His lead. Walk with Him in relationship. Right in between these two is the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll touch on. Power for witness. Acts chapter 8, we're told that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Do you want to be a witness for Christ? And again, I believe that it is a seed planted in the heart of every believer. If you know and love Jesus, you want to bear witness to who He is as the hope of the world. You know, where you live, work, and play. We want Christ to be seen in our lives. We want Christ to, to be obvious to the world. We want opportunities to tell people who Christ is. And he says, if you want, again, any hope of being a witness for Christ, in any degree and in any way, he says, you'll... You'll receive that power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this, of course, he's, he's looking forward to Pentecost. But for us, that, that is the new birth, the wash, washing and renewal and the outpouring of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. That's where the empowerment to be His people. All right, what about strength for ministry? Look at Colossians. Paul says, for this I toil. He says this, it is the making mature of of other believers. It's his ministry, right? For this, for my ministry, he says, I toil struggling. I work hard, right? I put my effort into it. I toil, I struggle. But he says this, I struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. With all his energy that he is powerfully working within me. Paul says, that's how I do ministry. Right? There ought to be that within us. When I read a verse like that, it's just like when I read John 7, 37 to 39, and Jesus stands up and says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And I read this verse by Paul, and it produces the same thing in me. And I hope that it produces in you when Paul says that for this, I labor and I struggle and I do it with all of his power that is working so strongly in my life. There's some part of us ought to say, oh my God, I want that power at work in my life. Right? So that I don't become weary in doing good. Strength for ministry, strength for service, strength to, to strive and to struggle and to toil. Right? Strength to keep on working at a difficult marriage. Strength to keep on working with difficult people at home and at church and in the workplace. You know, strength to keep on walking with Christ and, and being the person that he wants us to be in relationship with each other, in relationship to the world, so that we can bear his witness and bring honor and glory to his name. I want to labor and struggle with all of his strength. 
the satisfaction and the joy that we want, that we long for, are the very first fruits of the Spirit. You know, all of us want joy. All of us want to be happy. All of us want to be satisfied. And we look for it and we crave it. It drives us. We've written it into the very fabric of our country. You know, our foundational rights are to life, liberty, and happiness. Why? Because everybody wants happiness. Right? And where do we find it? In the very first fruits of the Spirit. I I, I read those two verses, Galatians 5.16. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, And this I say, if you live by the Spirit, then also you need to walk in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. And right in between those two, living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And then it's patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And it's all those other things that we want and need to do in our lives as we relate to each other. But first and foremost, for us, the very first fruits of the Spirit of God in our lives as we walk with Him and keep in step with Him are the love and the joy and the peace that every soul craves. I've kind of labored this. You're probably like, okay. You know, but this is a sampling. You could walk through, as I said, you could walk through the New Testament and just see how everything you desire, everything you want to be, everything you want to do in the Christian life that you want to experience flows out of this river. Right? This river that he says will spring up in the hearts and the lives of his people and bring us the joy and the satisfaction and the the strength to labor and to toil for him and for his kingdom and to be and to do everything, to not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, but to bring him honor and glory. Like I labor this. Why? Because what are we apart from the fullness of the Holy Spirit? What are we apart from the fullness of the Holy Spirit? What can we do? What can we accomplish spiritually? You know, for Christ and his kingdom, apart from his Holy Spirit. You know, and the answer is, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he gives us a beautiful image of the branch of biting in the vine. Right, so that the flow of the life of the vine flows into the branch. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Everything that I just read and described is, is a sampling of the work of the Spirit and the life of the believer. And he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. The, the life of the vine will flow into the branch and bring forth everything. And so Jesus says, come to me and drink. Right, come to me. He doesn't point anywhere else. He doesn't, you know, he, he makes very personalized. Come to me. Come to Jesus, he says, and drink. You know, and this drinking here is clearly a metaphor for faith. Right? Verse 38, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of him will flow. So it is this act of faith, this believing in Christ, out of which rivers of life flow. But I want us to understand that in the Bible, faith is not something you do once, and sometimes this is the way we do it. If you have faith, you believe this. Have you nodded your head in assent to this, these statements, right? And that's faith. Faith is not nodding your head to certain 
theological statements. Faith is something that is born in us. Right? Faith is something that, that lives. Right? It's a posture toward Christ. It, is, it, it creates a relationship toward Christ. To put our faith in Christ, it's like getting married. It's not something you do once. It's something you are every day. As you are in relationship with this person and to put our faith in Christ, we don't come to him. It's not something we do once. It's this picture of an ongoing relationship. In Jeremiah chapter 2, it's there under the third point in your outline. God says this, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Isn't that almost verbatim what Jesus says that he will produce in the lives of his people if they would come to him and by faith drink of him. And God here says, my people have committed two evils. And God says, I am the fountain of living waters. They've forsaken me as this fountain. And they've hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. When he says they have forsaken me, what he is saying is that they've stopped coming to me. They've stopped relating to me like a fountain of water. They've stopped drinking of my life into theirs. They've stopped stopped coming to me and finding the life that they need and, and, and having their souls satisfied. Right? Coming and drinking is this metaphor for ongoing relationship. It's a metaphor for faith and communion with a living God, with a living Christ. And so coming and drinking is not only the entrance into the Christian life, coming and drinking then is also the flowing source of everything in the Christian life. So when Jesus gives this invitation here, there's a sense where you come the very first time and drink. It is the entrance, but, but it also is the source of the ongoing. Christ says, then if you abide in me, and if you keep coming and you keep drinking, and if I become your source of life, then you will experience the life of God at work within you, right? There are metaphors he could have used for a singular act that, you know, you could come once and do, but he chose water. He chose thirst. Thirst is a funny thing. It must be quenched every day. It is so basic and so fundamental to the human need that I, I, you know, I, I challenge you to go one day without drinking anything. Just even try it. Right? It's not even healthy. You will will start to know thirst, cotton mouth, parched. Right? And he says he chooses something that is described. Our need for water is so fundamental. It must be quenched every day. We must drink. We must drink. And when we spend time with Christ in personal worship and in fellowship and when we are in his word and seeking him in his word as we meditate on his word as we prayerfully pursue him and interact and lift our hearts in prayer as we engage with Christ and abide in Christ we drink of his life his life flows in our life through our fellowship with him the river the fullness of the spirit you know, Paul says be filled with the spirit It's a command. It's something that we are commanded to do, but it's something that we cannot do. Now, where does this fullness come from? I I am 100% convinced 
at this stage of my 30 years into my Christian life, I am 100% convinced the fullness of the Spirit comes not by anything that we can do other than drinking from the river, right? By being with Christ. He says, come to me. You know, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the, the streams, the river of living water. They've stopped coming to me for their life. Drink. You know, he gives that. It's a verb. It's a present active imperative. Right? An imperative in the Greek is a command. It's a form of. So, Jesus, it's an invitation, but it's more than that. He's actually, he's actually giving us a, a command. Telling you what to do. He's not asking you to drink. He's telling you to drink. Right? And he does it in the present active. In the Greek, that means it's, a, it's an ongoing action. He's not like saying, shut the door, one-time deal. It's more like, keep walking. You know, it's like when I say keep walking, it doesn't mean take two more steps. It means keep walking. Start walking and just keep on walking. Right? When he says drink, he is saying drink and keep drinking. I command you to keep drinking. Why? Because dehydration is a killer. Right? Those who are lost in the desert are not going to starve to death, are they? Long before you starve to death, you can go days without food. We've got usually stored up you know, a certain amount. But water, you can't go but a few days. And if it gets powerful enough, our thirst will drink almost anything. Which is why at, at sea, if you're adrift at sea, which is a, a wilderness of its own, a desert of its own kind, water, water everywhere, but nary a drop to drink because sea water will make you first crazy and then secondly kill you. Because the salt in it makes you thirstier and thirstier and actually dehydrates you. So you can't drink it. But when you're at sea and you're that thirsty, you are tempted to drink anything. Right? And that's God says is our problem. See, because every day we have to quench our raging thirst. We're that kind of people. That's how basic our thirst is, our spiritual thirst. And every day you and I are quenching our raging thirst. We're drinking all the time. We all have places to go. You know where you go. Right? The problem is not that we're not drinking every day. The problem is that we're, we're drinking in the wrong places. We're seeking our satisfaction in the wrong places. Remember God in Jeremiah 2, we just read it a minute ago. He said, my people have committed two evils. They've not only forsaken me, who is the fountain of living waters that Jesus invites us to. He says, but also they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. Right? They, they have broken cisterns that can hold no water. They're creating other places to go. They're going somewhere else. They're not just not coming to me. But we all have places that we are going seeking our satisfaction. We've not stopped drinking. Isaiah 55, he says the same thing. It's here in your bulletin under the last point. He says, come to me everyone who thirsts. Again, that's Jesus' invitation. Jesus stands in the place of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Come to us to fulfill the promises and these invitations. And the Father says, come to me everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why are you spending your money for that which is not bread? Why are you hewing out cisterns that don't hold water, that are broken? Why are you laboring for that which does not satisfy? My people have committed two evils. 
They've forsaken the, the, the source of living water, and they have given themselves to that which does not satisfy. We spend ourselves. We drink corrupt and tainted cisterns. You know, we're addicted to work, and we're addicted to entertainment, and to games, and we're addicted to people, and, and for, we need their attention, and we need their approval, and we're addicted to hobbies, and we're addicted to hidden sins in our lives, and we have idols of every kind as we pursue, you name it, what are you after? Where, what are you pursuing? Where are you spending yourself? We're drinking from rank pools. And our problem is not our circumstances, it's not the government, it's not that other person in whatever context, it's not. Our problem is we've quenched the Spirit. But our problem is that we have committed the first sin and we have forsaken Him, the fountain of living waters. We are spending ourselves hewing out cisterns and seeking to fill our lives with meaning and satisfaction. And we've, sometimes even our religion fills this. Religion can be a treadmill. I mean, Jesus is dealing with the religion treadmillists of his day right there. He he says, you guys are, you know, you go round and round and round and you've got all these things, these rules and these things that you do. And he says, but guys, you've lost touch with the God who lives, who is a fountain of living water so religious right and he says to them there it is in your bulletin John 5 he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have satisfaction and life and it's they that bear witness about me and you're refusing to come to me right we refuse to go to the fountain of living water and you could put anything in that you search the scriptures right any external religious activity will do. You go to church, you teach Sunday school, you read books, you listen to Christian radio, you do all kinds of things that seek to satisfy your conscience and because you think that by them you're finding life. Jesus says, you lack one thing, my friends. You lack one thing. Me. (laughs) Right? Me. A fountain of living water. The one who can quench and satisfy. And he says, listen to me. Right? The language of that text back in Isaiah 55 is powerful. That last sentence, he says, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight in the richest fare. Incline your ear to me, which is a synonym for listen diligently to me. And come to me and hear. Right? Listen diligently to me. Incline your ear to me. Hear me. And interspersed in between it, he says, Come, eat, drink, delight yourself. Find life for your souls. Some of us are not sure what's wrong. Look at our lives and look at our marriages, we look at our relationships and we're struggling, we look all around and we wonder what's wrong and sometimes I think the answer is simply this. We're dying of thirst. We're dying of thirst. We're dying for His power as we labor and toil for His power to work mightily within us. 
to accomplish all of his good purposes, to know him working within us, to will and to do, to know him working within us, to, to give us a spirit and a heart to share our faith and to advance the kingdom. We're lacking him working within us to accomplish everything that he does by the flowing of his own spirit because we are, we are dying of thirst. What we need is God himself. Look at Psalm 63 there in your bulletin. The psalmist cries out, Oh God, you are my God. My satisfaction. My purpose for living. The one whom I serve. The one who reigns over me. The one who gives meaning to my life. You are my God, and earnestly I seek for you because my soul is thirsty and it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Right? Coming to Christ is not the end of our seeking. Right? Coming to Christ is not the end of our drinking. It's the very beginning. It's the first sip out of a river that is meant to flow and to quench us all of our days, the first fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace. And then it becomes patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. All those things that we want. We need to learn how to seek, earnestly seek for Him to be the one to satisfy the desires of our souls. We need to learn how to seek Him every day. We need to learn how to get alone with Him and drink. Will you spend yourself seeking for what you need most when all is said and done? You drink at the fountains of His grace and where His mercy is new and He speaks His love to your heart again and, and the life begins to flow into a part soul until its fullness flows in us once again and so that our cup overflows into the lives of people around us. Usually my wife asks me, what's wrong with you? Usually at the bottom, the answer is, I just have not been drinking at the fountains. And so I'm short. And so I'm all those things that I don't want to be. So that fullness flows again and the cup overflows as the deer pants for the flowing stream. So my soul pants for you, oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, your soul thirsts. We must understand that it thirsts for God. This is the question as he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? When can I come and appear before my God? When can I come and be with him? When can I come and give him my soul in worship and to drink of his love and his grace and his mercy toward me? in newness of life. When? Right? This, this is the question of the thirsty soul. Listen to me. Incline your ear. Hear me. Eat what is good. Seek the source. Come to Him that your souls might live. Pray with me.